You're listening to The Mando Show, a weekly podcast and review of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. This week we take a look at the Disney Plus gallery for practical effects and process. Welcome back, everybody, to The Mando Show. We are talking about two episodes of Behind the Scenes this week, uh, because one of them's short and one of them's a little long, so they kind of run against each other pretty well. And uh, we have some uh, interesting takes on some of it. Anyway, to the left of me is... Udi Alvarado, uh, podcaster and Star Wars fan. Where... Can people find you, Star Wars fan? Uh, you can find me on all of my socials, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all H-A-X-G-O-A-L-I-E. And you can find me on my other podcast, Leaving Today Podcast, where you can you can find that show wherever quality podcasts are found. And that's it, yeah. And across <laughs> the table from me is... <laughs> this is Joey. An apologetic Star Wars fanboy. Where can they find you? On the apologetic <laughs> I'm going to go fanboy. take a break while he lists off everywhere he's at. <laughs> no, I made it shorter because you can find all our shows <laughs> at the Disney Podcast Family on Instagram and uh, DizPodcastFamily.com. You can find all three of my other podcasts, including this one, The Mando Show, and Udi's All Aboard, or <laughs> Leaving Today. Mm-hmm. Oh, and my personal page is uh, jpitty 23 There you go. And that's on Instagram and Twitter. So that's jpitty 23 So we're going to work on making this more painful for the next episode, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. All right. To the I'm right like of that. me like, is Chad, and I'm easy. You can find you me on our Instagram page <laughs> or the Mandalorian Merck's Facebook page. Yeah, little known fact. We, we know Chad is easy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Very. <laughs> He's the young one. <laughs> um, before we jump in, I just yeah. wanted to remind people to listen to the entire episode today because we actually have breaking Star Wars news to cover. But we'll save it for the end so you have to stay and listen to the whole thing. It's so breaking, I'm not even aware of it. Sweet. I like it. And I am Derek Alvarado, tattoo artist, father to, actually, it's the other way around. But anyway, father to. Tattoo artist, Star Wars fan for life. Um, I was a little distracted about saying tattoo artist first. But anyways, um, this week we have watched a couple episodes together. Uh, one is the Practical Effects uh, episode, which is 30 minutes long. So that's a little bit longer than the usual we've seen. And then we have the Process one, which is uh, 18 minutes, which is mm, considerably shorter than the other ones we've seen. So... Um, and they kind of go hand to hand because it is uh, the more mechanic or the the more nuts and bolts of how they put the show together. Um, so we are looking at. Let's just get it out of the way now. The one thing that everybody's crazy for, the one little green guy mm-hmm. that nobody can seem to get enough of. That frog, Kermit, you son of a. <laughs> no. It is. I can do it the child. Voice. If not, I would have thrown it in. Yeah. The child, yeah. yeah. No. The child. Baby. The child, the child, yeah. and all the all the things that is uh all the wrong names that he's called by, but he <laughs> is he is technically the child. Uh or baby. Or as, baby. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard likes to refer to him. And I think that's what they ended up calling him on the show mostly when they when they're talking about it. So um he is a puppet, everyone. He is a very fancy high tech puppet, and it takes four people. Or make the magic and plus an alternate, yeah, and the alternate, and the alternate. He went down with an injury. Bring in the alternate. Bring in yeah. the alternate. Yeah. Um, who's also the uh, the costume designer mm-hmm. for the child, and uh, but there is also some CG effects that go into it too, which they didn't really cover. They just mentioned it. Mm-hmm. They mentioned something in- interesting too that they don't. They won't make CG unless the puppet can actually do it, too. Mm-hmm. So they just kind of use the CG to fill in the holes where the puppet... Clean it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, which mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting and cool to do and not 
not use CG as a handicap, as Bryce Dallas was saying, and relying more on the practical effects. Right, right, yeah. So we don't have any, you know, flipping around the uh, the Senate mm-hmm. happening. <laughs> oh. You know, well, I, and I, I, I like it. I, yeah. I enjoyed seeing yep. Yoda actually do that. But yeah, no, since this is a this is a baby, it's a child that doesn't have that range of motion. I but. was just having nightmarish visions back to Palpatine's cackle. <laughs> 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 oh, oh man so uh they break down the different folks who um run the puppet and uh what's uh, the the one guy man i'm i've lost, i remember the I've company is called legacy legacy yep. yep yep but i lost all the names they're they're all <laughs> gone in the ether right now it's been a busy week mm-hmm. so anyway uh the so they got four of them running it they got one guy who uh does the body he gets to wear the weird color um, outfit mm-hmm. because he's outside of the puppet. Then mm-hmm. there's the uh, servos and stuff that are all inside. Mm-hmm. So we got someone running the eyes. We got someone running the ears. We got someone running the mouth mm-hmm. and a little combination of some of the other stuff. Yep. Um, but I mean, talk about teamwork. They talk that this is the kind of effort that these people are putting in. They had it at their legacy office, putting it together working on being a team to make this thing come to life for three months before they even brought it to set (laughs) for everyone to look at it and see how they all work together. So that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of time of having to be comfortable with three other folks. Uh, I know how that feels and uh, (laughs) having to, (laughs) you know, work together to make something happen. And, um, but it definitely pays off. And, Man, I, you know what? I got to see who the, the main guy is because that was... I thought one had a good analogy where he kind of referred to the, the four of them as like a band and they just jam, they jam just practice together. and have like a jam session yeah. until, until it all works. Well, the going along the teamwork, they were talking about there is a part in there where the head operator um, and the eye operator, you know, they knew they are going to turn and then the eye operator goes, okay, I'm going to lead with the eye. And all natural movements that mm-hmm. we normally do without thinking about it and then or an animal or whatever that happen autonomously, they have to do everything. And I didn't even think about it until he brought it up. And I'm like, oh, man, yeah, right? Yeah, because there's times where you see, you know, the baby and it's like, you you know, it's a puppet. Yeah. But then like, but the teamwork and the how they're moving it. I mean, it's it's still a charming character on screen and you, you even though you know it's a puppy you still buy it's like like the original yoda you buy it's a real character i mean the, the scene in the first episode where it pulls down the little blanket and you first see it the shot looked so clean and the movement was so fluid i thought it was cgi mm-hmm. i thought the entire thing was cgi yep. Yep. not a shot of it was yeah and and the one thing that um taika brought up is how it was kind of freaky kind of weird that he'd be talking about blah, blah and then the pup, you know, the baby would be right here and reacting. And then he's like, "You're reacting, okay." <laughs> and then you know, it had to click that okay, the operators are right over there, okay. But he said, "Yeah, it could be a little <laughs> weird." Yeah, was it? I forget which director was it, Filoni, and he's like, "Yeah, you just like you're looking at the puppet, giving it directions, and it's doing what you want because they're off to the side <laughs> listening." So he's like, "I'm not talking to the four puppeteers; I'm talking to an inanimate object, telling it what I want it to and, do." And have that great shot where, like, it's pretty early on, but he's like, "All right, move that hands up higher, higher." He's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like, that's so he's like, "That's cool. the shot." <laughs> yeah. No, oh, yeah, that was Filoni. He was like, "That's the stuff." Right? Yeah, that's <laughs> the stuff. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, they. Deborah Chow brought up the fact that Herzog uh, was doing that exact same thing, directing yeah. the puppet directly, talking to it and having it. <laughs> that was um, a great story. Yeah. yeah, and that that little interview with him talking about his interaction with him and, and how awesome it was. Yeah, um, that was that was fun. Well, it's always fun to listen to Werner right? speak. First of all, just <laughs> I love the baby. I don't like waiting for for Chad to jump in with it. So, and, and seeing his reaction. So, uh, clearly, there's a reason why everybody has had the reaction to the child that they have. And it is months and months of work mm-hmm. that have gone into it. And not just that, but the dissecting of how people normally move. These puppeteers, as they're they're called, which I, I think, you know, I think a puppeteer 
and uh, obviously it's a lot more old school and all you think is somebody's hand in a sock mm-hmm. and you know blah 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 clearly it's evolved Yo, well, Jim Henson definitely changed the yeah. hand in the oh, sock, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's not just about a hand in the sock. Yeah, it is. It is all these servo, this this technology that's getting put into these things, and then just the the effort that it takes for people to to all work together as a team to make one thing seem like a real breathing, interactive, alive. Yeah, and uh, what one character. thing that gets said to in the show a lot is in every episode you got people that care about what they're doing. They're taking you know, pride in, in each little thing in the shows because when you got to pass it on to the next person for either visual or, you know, the ears or, you know, something like that, I mean, it's all got to sink. And, and the, to me, everything in the show sunk or <laughs> synced. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's synced up. It's synced up. I've, heard, I've heard it both Synergy. ways. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and um, well... That's further down the line, but you're right. The uh, care that everybody is putting into what they're doing, no matter how big or small, is paying off in massive, massive ways. And and as we move through um, all all of these episodes, looking at the different people who work, and they have a different point of view, and they come from all different kind of background and the introduction into Star Wars comes from different ways and different things. They all kind of gravitate to, I think, Filoni, what episode he kind of talks about the different kind of Star Wars fandom. And we've talked about it before. You know, you have your trilogy people, you have your um, your prequel, you have your, and now you're going to have your sequel, your Clone War, and all that. And they can all bring it, but they're all paying massive respect to the material what is and, what has come before right <clears throat> and for me that is why we get and i'll keep on saying it because it's true that is why it is as good and i've heard people well it's all right and i'm like uh, again quote unquote star wars fans and maybe i'm being too i don't know rigid or or angry but like how can you not like the show it's all right and you're like <laughs> you're a star wars fan right well yeah it's all right. What, what, what don't you like about it? You know, I, I have that question that pops up in my head all the time. Okay, if you don't like it, what? What is it that you don't like? I haven't heard a good reason yet. <laughs> you know, and again, I, maybe my bias kicks in, but hey. Yeah, I, I, I I'll, I'll own that one like wholeheartedly. Like, yeah, I'm biased. I don't care. <laughs> I, I haven't seen a reason to dislike this at all. Um, they, they do so much that's in line with what the old uh, Star Wars was. The... The practical effects themselves. Well, one last thing about uh, the child is it doesn't just start at the people who made the puppet. They actually worked and worked and worked on the design of the character. Mm-hmm. They went through a lot quite of a bit ugly before. prototypes. Yeah, quite a bit before um, they even sent the, the character over. And then once they started making actual physical models of it, or maquettes, I think that's what they're mm-hmm. called, right? Even that had to be refined over and over and over again until they had to look just right. That that would be, you know, something that's worth having on the show. Mm-hmm. But a lot of work, a lot of work. It's not something that just happens overnight. So, um, it's amazing how they make it look easy <laughs> when it's not. Yeah, and kind of going back to like when when he was first introduced, and we we've seen the world go crazy for him. Uh, we've seen that Disneyland and. Everywhere it's, it's the child merchandise. It says Mandalorian, but there's no Mandalorian anywhere. It's mm-hmm. it's the child everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's funny because we're you know as we're watching this, you see the actors and directors like the, the they reacted the same way the masses did. You see even Toro Calican was holding it like a, oh like, yeah he's like he's like oh my like holding it like it's a brand new baby and petting yeah. petting yeah, his and, head and yeah. and Gina Carano was talking about like it's hard to be in a scene with it because everybody's like. <laughs> In you know, just focused on the child, yeah, and John Favreau was like, "Hey, you did pretty good, but the the child was better. Yeah, so you need to step yeah. it up." Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's cool. In Tychus, I mean, just seeing the actors, like, I mean, they were completely sold in on on uh, the child just as much as the fans have been. Well, I think it was funny that they referred to the fact, or Gina Carano specifically said that she was going to lose the scene to the <laughs> to that puppet every single time yep. because it's just so adorable. There's no 
way around it. You just and anybody that child's going to steal the scene mm-hmm. every single time. And they knew this when they were making the show, mm-hmm. and it's become very obvious as the show has aired. You know, yeah, it definitely did steal the scene every single time he was in it. Which shows why they were smart not to reveal any merchandise mm-hmm. before that. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, it will be behind, but. You know, it, for the story that you know, we don't want to share any merchandise, or it'll screw up the story. So, right. yeah, yep. right so call. Mm-hmm. Yep, and an amazing, amazing amount of work too that went into it. So, um, lots of respect, and they definitely it have uh, received the the accolades and attention and the success that they should have for for putting putting in that kind of work. So, um, that was very fun to see all that that how that gets put together. So. Uh, one thing they did reference at the very beginning of this episode, I know I jumped into, into tiny real quick, but, um, practical effects, they wanted to do it because there's a certain level of realism that happens from having practical effects. And because star Wars, I know when the original trilogy or the, the prequel trilogy came out, so many people thought that, you know, all the practical effects are gone. It's just CG. It just lost something that, um, I can't, I don't understand why even those people would not be on board with this Mm because it's very obvious. A ton of practical effects Mm -hmm. are in this, even for the level of technology that they have in this show, which I'm still, you know, not over yet. It's still, (laughs) it still puts a big smile on my face when I think about it, but the level of practical effects that they use in this is also equally amazing because Mm -hmm. it is, gone up to level four as old school star wars as it looks mm-hmm. it's still new awesome like people's skills and abilities have gone up to master class level when they're making this stuff to make it look junky old yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. but it it fits so well with everything they that the exact time frame that they were going for in the star wars universe fits amazingly well and it's it it shows in every last detail that you see so yeah the practical as much as i love the technology that was in this the practical effects side of it was great to see how they were doing it yeah taika mentioned that when you look back at a new hope and you see r2d2 and 3po walking on tatooine when they leave the uh blockade runner they have this dirt and this grime to him that tells it an entirely different story before this movie that like adds age adds detail and tech is like well there's a whole another story that i want to know about and it's as simple as like in costume making it's black washing you mix black acrylic paint and water and you dab it in the crevices and the cracks of your costume and it makes it look worn it gives it grime and it just adds this depth of detail and you can see that they did it in all these practical effects and in the little scenery they have because we know from watching the technical one most of it's the uh, the volume but you can see like they showed the um, kind of the statue practical uh, like R2-D2 rowboat droid. Mm-hmm. And you can just see the dirt and grime from that thing being in, you know, a lava river, like cavernous um, area. And you can tell they put all that thought and detail of, you know, where would it be damaged? Where would the dirt be? Where would, you know, maybe it's got like a clean spot on it from something. And put a lot of thought into all of that for every part. And that comes from an artistic eye of seeing where something's at, being able to imagine or trying to imagine what that effect might be. That layer of black paint or thinned out black paint too, that's also a technique used in painting miniatures mm-hmm. uh, to add that, it bring not just bring out detail. It's amazing how much detail it brings mm-hmm. out, uh, but add that extra layer of there is a depth to this that tells more of a story. So that particular technique works on a whole bunch of Yeah, stuff. I always try and tell people, they're like, oh, I want to have this dark black mandalorian that looks all noir and obscure and it's like black on black just looks like nothing Mm -hmm. (laughs) what you want is you want color to contrast and then you're going to hit it with the black wash and everything's going to look a thousand times better Mm -hmm. all right anyway but leading to with that too they also went in to ig11 Mm -hmm. as if anybody's (laughs) been listening to this they know that's been my particular uh favorite guy on the show character and uh it was very interesting to see how they um decided to to make him move because i I, when the first time i i'm pretty sure when we all saw him move for the first time going out in that out in the open and just start blasting everything (laughs) you know that the movements were like what that is definitely a droid moving Mm -hmm. that's not somebody in a costume that is uh, and, and and so hearing um 
what's his name? There's Hal, and then there's the other Hal guy. Henkel, and, and uh, John Noel. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't John Noel. Though he did make the the stand-in for IG that big, um, like top half of him. Yeah, that they would use that for, they they were going to use for they, lighting. They, yeah, they used for yeah. lighting reference, and they ended up using him for IG Eleven. Yeah, that they was ended up using him a whole bunch of times because they put. They can't help themselves, you know. They put in the level of detail. They could have mm-hmm. just put in. I was more fascinated like, with how much they loved the mannequins movement versus how much they loved like his other movement in combat. Cause mm-hmm. they like, they lost their minds over like, yeah, you'd turn him and his shoulders would wobble like all weird and awkwardly. Wicked, yeah. And they're like, yeah, he, and I think Floney's like, yeah, he's this super badass droid, but it's awkward and clunky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. And they derived the movements from, from mm-hmm. that too. It helped them, uh, work from that again so. shows the teamwork you know from the different yeah. well the and then the, just the creative process too is always again i've said it before is this very, very fascinating to me to see how this stuff works especially when you get a ton of creative people mm-hmm. that they just throw something out there that throw, uh, reminds you of something uh, fabro just uh, said but anyway but you know you got creative people that just throw things out there throw an idea oh hey what about this and it just sparks the imagination mm-hmm. uh, somebody else goes oh i know what to do with that and then and then it just starts it this big creative beautiful thing happens and we get you know we see it we, we see it here but to see how that interplays is the fascinating part to me on on for for all these episodes that they're showing yeah ig getting put together so well just the thing they had sitting up there that was could have been just a tin can for uh lighting reference but because um josh was that his name josh uh the John Knoll made that top half of IG-11. And because he is who he is, because he loves doing modeling, because he just, he didn't just deliver a real bait. He was painted and done upright. And Mm -hmm. even the motion on the head was there. Like it was done right to high quality. Mm He just can't help himself. You just do that. That's how, that's the level that these guys are at. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they ended up using that, in shots and they ended up using it in the show itself. You know, they did what didn't go all just CGI. And again, going back to the practical <laughs> effects thing of it, just, it, it just works. They, yeah. and it, it was part of the, the original trilogy. It's part of the show. They're making sure that they're staying true to the uh, original source material. And those are the best, production and usually i'm just gonna say movies because that's the what we get them mostly is in movies but the projects that deal with or balance the technological computer effects with practical and to this day still hold up like mm-hmm. you know empire strikes back you know the original trilogy most most of the scenes um jurassic park the original one still holds up because computer effects are so new then mm-hmm. that they're like well we still got to depend on these practical dinosaurs and everything mm-hmm. And it was a perfect, in my opinion, a perfect blending of both mm-hmm. to this day. And so that's what we're getting with the Mandalorian. It's like we want to do as, as practical as we can, yet we want to, uh, you know, push the boundaries of technology. And in in doing both of those, we're getting, like I said, just a great show that looks like they're, you know, looks real. I mean, we're on the we're we are in the outer rim of the galaxy. In we don't think we're in a a desert in Arizona or Tunisia or something. So it's it's. Yeah, the the blending of both the technical and practical is another reason why the show is amazing. And then as the show goes on, you do see a couple, they reference a couple of different people who have a Star Wars history to um, the one particular uh, model, which I laughed so hard when I saw it originally, the... uh, The Salacious Crumb. Salacious Crumb. The Monkey Lizard. Monkey Lizard, that's it. That's what it was called. You know, seeing that one on on a spit, and then seeing the <laughs> other one back there trying. You know, they, Filoni's story about that. Yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, it was hilarious. I was like, oh, so it does, you know, it was something that made him laugh, and it was just a yeah. And I was at a celebration when uh, I was in the. Um, I think I mentioned before, but I was in the overflow room for this panel, and everything they said about celebration when the, the certain things I hit uh, in the trailer and the behind the scenes, the crowds really took to were the the uh, little nods to the original trilogy the you know salacious crumb the jawas when they showed up uh, the ro- you know the rodian walks by and so you, and i think um i forget what episode it might have been this one but 
Favreau calls them the D list of Star Wars characters. Mm-hmm. And but and those secondary and tertiary ex- exactly, characters. and those ones did get the biggest uh, reactions uh, at Celebration. Right, and speaking of that too, Quill, Quill, Ugnot. yeah, and yeah, that was amazing. Right? Yeah, yep, yep, having that character, and then the lady who actually physically was with the the headpiece on that was not she wasn't just in costume, just an actor. She was also helping the puppeteers mm-hmm. do what they're doing because that face was being puppeteered mm-hmm. by different people. And so that level of teamwork, I mean, I just, man, that is something that is something to behold. Like seriously, I mean, that's a, that's a high level of uh, commitment and skill too. Yeah. And um, she made the comment where maybe make a motion like, Hey, I'm going to move now. That way they could kind of follow and track and make physical cues. Yeah. And when you can't talk, you know, and then, I mean, and then even going into the voice, um, because, um, she mentioned that Nolte would do a different, uh, different couple passes for whatever. And that would help her kind of morph her, her, um, her acting, her, Mm -hmm. her, you know, her work. And I, I'm like, again, you have people in different trade after trade after trade all working in unison to create a character. And I, it's freaking great. Yeah. A lot of people don't get that, you know? Yeah. And especially like the stuff she had to do and not hear very well, especially mm-hmm. when there's dialogue being written. So, uh, and she gave a lot of, I mean, we all know Nick Nolte did the voice, but you know, she, she gave so much life to Quill beyond the voice, his looks, his, the, the, the body motion, uh, movements, and even pauses during certain parts of uh, the dialogue. So big props to Misty Rojas because, I mean, it takes a great actor or, you know, someone that, again, cares what they're doing to to get out, put out a uh, product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something as complex as a mime, puppeteers, two puppeteers controlling the face, and then someone else on the voice just shows the synergy yeah. of all of them coming together. <laughs> Nice word. Mm-hmm. And if anybody <laughs> says she's not an actor, they're, they're oh, dead wrong. They're yeah. wrong. Oh, yeah. She absolutely is. And that fits into the whole thing that uh, Favreau and Filoni had talked about in a previous episode where if somebody's behind that mask or in a costume or something like that, it needs to be an actor. Mm-hmm. So, And it still fits even with, with her and not, not having her face shown or mm-hmm. even her voice being used, but definitely acting the character out and making it believable. And again, another character that everybody... I mean, when he first showed up, you know, I have spoken. That was the first thing that people yeah, were saying. Everybody was yeah, it wasn't this that, is yeah. the way. Yeah. It wasn't until, you know. <laughs> the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that happened. But I have spoken from, from we, episode one started. We and had that's that for what, a week. <laughs> yeah. That's what everyone was. Everybody was running around. The beginning. Yeah. So if it hadn't been for that, that this is the way being spoken, it probably would still be. Mm-hmm. I have spoken. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I still want to use that. Yep. I have spoken. So I like it. But yeah, also great. Another again, a great character. The synergy that that went behind it to make that character happen. So many different things. One thing I wanted to talk about with the baby, though. The main guy. See again, can't remember his name. But he's talking about sometimes when they put these characters together that are puppets, there is a level. There's something magic that just happens mm-hmm. and there's a spark that just happens. And he, he's like, I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. It just happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's because you have this group of people that are putting, I'm going to sound kind of hippy dippy thing right now, but they're putting their life energy, their force and their positivity mm-hmm. into something all together. So it's creating a, a life of its own mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that's what that spark is. And it's hard. It it might be kind of hard to say or even accept. And like I said, it sounds kind of hippy dippy ridiculous. But mm-hmm. at the same time, how, how else can you explain it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and I think you can relate. I mean, going out a little bit further, whenever you get a group of people who are, they can um, create or, or do things that you may not think are possible. It has that level. You know, you get the right character and the right skill and you have the right leadership all put together they all can move in a direction and deliver on what you think you can't do and i think you're 100 percent correct it has a level of of energy and it creates that magic into it 
Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and, <clears throat> and real quick, kind of take it a different turn real quick. The one thing I love about the show, and it's really highlighted in this episode, and I think another one, I can't remember which one right now, though. But we actually see uh, the I, what I say is the real Kathleen Kennedy. We don't see the Lucasfilm, like, uh, promoting. CEO. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we're seeing the the amazing, like, well-versed producer that's been in the industry for, you know, been making hits for over 40, 40 years. 40, yeah. Talking, you know, tech. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think, like I said, I think this is really showing us and everybody the real uh, Kathleen Kennedy and why she is a CEO for Lucasfilm, in my opinion. And I get a feeling that she's a fan, too, yeah. of the stuff that's yep. happening. I can't imagine somebody would be in this just for the money for so long because eventually mm-hmm. you just get, you would get sick of it. Yeah. I would imagine. I don't no. know. And, and looking at her resume, it, is dealing with um, fan heavy uh, IP, mm-hmm. um, and that if you don't walk into it with that mentality, you're not going to like it. Now, we I'm going to disagree with where she went, but I don't think um, it came from a part of oh, I hate this franchise and I want to burn it to the ground. I, I I don't. But yeah, you can't keep on going without having a, a fire or a drive. To keep it going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the times I've seen her at the red carpet premieres, she had a genuine happiness that nobody really else had when she was there. Like, she was just excited as the fan groups to have this new Star Wars movie coming out. Mm-hmm. Whereas the actors are like, hey, you know, I'm contractually obliged to be here, mm-hmm. happy to meet you fans. But she's like, she had just this shining grin on her face, like, oh my God, we're about to watch a new Star Wars movie. This is so great. Yep. All right, so <laughs> what? I think there was another thing. In, oh, it was the razor the crest. razor crest? This That's was the fun right. one. This right. is when you see all the high tech geniuses at Lucasfilm become twelve again. Yeah, yeah. and when Favreau wants to, like, like, like we mentioned, and like one of my favorite quotes in this entire series is, he learned from Guillermo del Toro that if you build something when they're done shooting, you get to take it home mm-hmm. with you. And so that was the first thing he thought about was with a razor crest, and then because they were already out of budget, they they started previs and everything. But mm-hmm. they're like, well, let's just do a couple of flyaways and you know shoots and lighting reference, <laughs> lighting, yeah, lighting quote unquote. Lighting that is a new one. I need it for lighting <laughs> reference, quote reference. unquote lighting reference. They're like, oh, you want a maquette to go home after? No. Yeah. But what they did, I mean, they were doing the old school, a new hope style. Of yeah. you know camera angles and coming towards the ship and at celebration they showed the like seven different versions you know just the model then all right lighting in the engines then all right some stars and and they're you told they're just totally geeking out mm. on just shooting the uh, the actual model of the Razor Crest and it, this was a hilarious real funny part of this episode mm-hmm. and they ended up using the uh, what like. 14 different shots yeah. eventually from it. They didn't just use it for uh, for what they thought. And, I mean, they legitimately actually used it more. Yeah. Because it looked it look great. It looks good. You know? And, it, and especially it when it's back oh, yeah. to the original trilogy again. Especially for then the speed and everything, how they move the stars, mm-hmm. you know, on the hey, background. Was part of the process episode, yeah. wasn't it? I thought it was this one, but maybe. This one, practical effects? No, I think they talked more about that. Part of it in the project, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. I mean, because we'll be talking about them anyways, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, that that whole process of them doing that was really, really it was cool to watch. And again, you know, the Razor Crest is an awesome, awesome new ship to the uh, Star Wars mm-hmm. uh, long list of spaceships that they have. So yeah, I don't, I don't blame them for wanting to have one of those at home. I want <laughs> exactly. One. I want one. I got the home. little Hot Wheel one. And yeah, I'm going to get the Lego one. I'm going to. <laughs> Do you have a Lego one? It's coming out. Oh, dude. Fantasy dude. Flight. Let's get on that for X-Wing Miniatures. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. there you oh. go. Yes. Right. Um, the Lego one is 120? Something like that. It's and too it, much, but it's awesome. Big. What, 120 pieces? No. 120 schmeckles. Oh, 120 dollars. Dollar. Calamari flung. Yeah. Doll hairs. Doll okay. hairs, yep. Wow. It's big, though, from what right. I understand. Yeah. Okay. Completely going off track. Yes, yeah, sorry. Anyway, are expensive. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> they are. They're not cheap anymore, man. Oh wow! All right. So, um, I think what 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 other things did they have in here? In the the, the, the thing that I enjoyed was a one shot of stop motion, and <laughs> I'm like, that isn't really needed ever again. I mean, really, but 
in the, order for them, they're like, ah, yeah. Because why not? Let's, why not? Let's honor the originals. <laughs> yeah. Let's just have we'll one it. And, shot. And it is the one with the blurg. And when uh, Mando is aiming down scoping, you see it in the scoping. And I'm like, if you don't think about it, you don't think about it. And then he brings it up, baloney, and, and then you're like, oh, okay, now I see it. <laughs> and I, I, I love only, I mean, the main reason I love it because of that, it goes back to the original. And he was talking about the holiday special or the Yuacha, whatever it was <laughs> that they used. They, they, they brought that up, yeah. It, yeah. Oh, I think, is it this episode where Filoni kind of complains about it? It's the, I think it's the final episode. Okay. We'll get there then. <laughs> kind of funny. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So there's that, <laughs> too. <laughs> the other thing that I liked Stay watching. Stay tuned for two episodes from now. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I liked was Sorry. that they were talking about the uh, blasters. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how they had to put that together. Yep. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that that's what they did with the original uh-huh. blasters yep. and the original movies, yep. that there were guns, real World War II guns mm-hmm. that they took and I mean, I always knew that. I knew they were always legit. Like, they had Sterlings. They had uh, Lugers. I didn't know that they were rentals they had to return, which mm-hmm. is why they didn't modify them more. Right. But they, look, they totally look like they were. Mm-hmm. Like, they totally look like they just bastardized all of those and like it was theirs but no they were like be, be gentle i'm gonna take that back yeah, they, yeah and they did because they're not floating around anywhere <laughs> but yeah but to see how they did that with the weapons and mando is you know again another little nod to what they did in the past and right? even in costuming we have so many people in costuming who are like oh i'm gonna convert this nerf gun and nerf this nerf that and it's like it looks unrealistic because you, you look at the star wars weapons and they're all based on world war ii guns mm-hmm. so we're like you know, find an old airsoft gun that you can throw some greeblies on and make it look different, and that would look more in universe in Star Wars than you know painting over a Nerf, Nerf gun. gun. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was fun to see that. Uh, the other thing too was I always love to see that when they reference the Millennium Falcon at all, <laughs> right? Ever. So uh-huh. they were showing shots of that, and they were um, going back to the Razor Crest and the shots they were doing with that. They showed again what they did with the Falcon. And one of the uh, the models they had was a six foot wide model, <laughs> like bigger than the table we're sitting at. And I'm like, where is that? Can I have it, please? Pretty please, I <laughs> yeah. want it more than anything. It else. is somewhere if in I the archives. Guess, it's at Skywalker Ranch <laughs> or Rancho Obi Wan, one of yeah. the two. It's I think it's it. in the archives at uh, uh, Skywalker. Because I mean, Ranch. you've seen that that photo of young George Lucas, probably like just post Return of the Jedi, and he's like posing with all the ships and like. Kind of like Favreau. He's like, he built those models. He got to take them home. Yeah. And they're all in his garage. Yeah. Or he just built a whole room that looks yeah. like it would should have those ships in it. So, because he could. That's what I would do anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, watching that again, that, that some of that <laughs> old school footage was, was fun to see in this. And, the, the, again, referencing the practical with the original stuff. So. That pretty much rounds out the, uh, the episode. It's kind of a good segue into the process, though, in the originals, because John Favreau, when he talked about the process for coming up with The Mandalorian, they wanted it to have the Star Wars vibe but not be based off of Star Wars. And they looked back to the movie. They, I think Filoni said it specifically. They didn't use Star Wars as an inspiration. They used the things that inspired George Lucas mm-hmm. as inspiration. Yeah, that was right. a great, great yeah. quote. Yep. Yeah, so they went back to old westerns and Kurosawa films. And Favreau more specifically mentions it's western-based, so we didn't watch Star Wars and say, how can we make this a western? They watched westerns and said, how can we make this Star Wars? Right. And that proved to be the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, when you're taking the original influences that started the whole thing in the first place and you do that again, I mean, that's you're going to get that same feel, that same vibe, that that whole thing. So, And because uh, George Lucas, when he was trying to make the original Star Wars, man, have you guys seen the, seen the behind the scenes on that one? What, what <laughs> a mess. That, well, I don't know how they ended up pulling that whole movie together, but they did. It was destined to fail on so many levels. Mm-hmm. So many times. <laughs> the Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. General Luke Starkiller. Mm-hmm. Like the old schools. Yeah. All these the old one. British cameramen and grips looking at this young 20, 30-something year old American that doesn't know what he's doing. And mm-hmm. <laughs> But watching him, uh, the way he got them to come around to what he wanted was to show World War II footage. 
Yeah. You know, especially the fighting scene, the death yeah. scene. Yeah. That was so cool when they played those side by side. Oh, what was the, the, um, the British bomber or something? Uh, um, I can't remember, but yeah. I, they did the side by side shot of the Death Star attack in this old black and white World War II movie. And I think it was two different black and white. Two. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, oh my God, it's almost a shot for shot. Mm-hmm. And it looks so good. Yeah. Yep. yep. But it was great that he could use that whole thing, that, that level here's what inspires me. This is what I, this is how I get my message across to everybody who's working on this so they can be on the same level and see what I see. This is how this fight needs <laughs> to go. And he had that there. So it's almost like previs. Yeah. That's what led into pre previs was him cutting these old roar two movies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and which become a very big part of the Mandalorian, which is what this, most of the uh, episode of the process is about. You might be wondering what previs is, but you've probably, if you're a Star Wars fan like us, you've probably already seen it because it's something they used on the Clone Wars, the cartoons, and Dave Filoni showed previs shots before at Celebration. More specifically, if you're a Mandalorian fan, they show the shot of Boba Fett fighting Cad Bane, and they showed it at a Celebration, and it, because it never got fully animated when the show got canceled, they just showed the clip all done in previs which is a video game engine motion capture that's kind of like an animated storyboard. Yeah, pre-visualization is the long version of that. How no one made a pre-visla pun with John Favreau. I was a little disappointed. <laughs> no, a pre-visla, you mean? Yeah. Mm. A waka waka. It's, yeah. And I'm done. It was a pretty bad one. That's probably why they took the high road and didn't do it. <laughs> didn't do it, yeah. We went it. low, they went high. Yeah, yeah. So, but the previs, they went, uh, there's always been different, well, not always, but there has been for a long time, but different versions of it. I remember hearing stories, especially when you're doing art for a living, you hear about other people who, oh yeah, they went to Hollywood and they just draw up cue cards or draw little, you know, the the, storyboards, the storyboards, the little cards, they get paid a lot of money just to do some stick figure drawing so that they can follow a movie out. And I was like, are you kidding me right Mm -hmm. now? And And it was somebody that would know. And I'd be all. That guy can't draw at all. Why? Why is he doing it? Because he could just whip it out quickly and whoa, whoa, <laughs> draw it quickly, <laughs> draw it really quickly, and to what they want to help them plan out what the movie was going to be like, how it was going to run, what kind of angles they wanted, what you know, that's so that they could get that story out to everyone who's working on the movie. So, I mean, that's that's like the basic level of it. Mm-hmm. When you can't find a old World War II movies to to splice together for what you want, you know you have somebody draw it up, and so clearly now it's evolved to a point where they can relatively quickly do it um, in a game engine, like Chad was saying, and that they've mentioned they use a game engine a lot, and do it to a level where they get a really good feel of what the scenes should be, what the lighting should be, what the look should be, what kind of explosions you know all that kind of stuff that they can plan ahead of time so it may seem like you're spending a lot of money on or they're spending a lot of money on doing something but really you can't just tell somebody no you can't because you nothing tells a picture like a picture you, mm-hmm. a thousand mm-hmm. pictures yeah. worth a thousand words i mean what is a movie's worth so especially when you're creating something that nobody else has ever seen you're mm-hmm. trying to guide the ship into uncharted territory and get everybody on board to work in the same level. So them doing the previs for every episode beforehand leads to a couple of different questions that <laughs> we have, or Chad has anyways, mm-hmm. as into just how much the directors really had a hand in directing. How, mu- right? how much input visually and creatively do they have when each episode is heavily storyboarded, heavily prevised? So when you get to, by the time they get to actually shooting footage with all the costume scenery, the volume set up, it's already been planned, established, and practiced at least five different times because they draw the storyboard, they did the motion capture, they do the motion capture into the previs, and then they look at the different shots they're going to take in previs before they even get out there. So by the time they get to the practical shooting, they already know what they're doing, what shots they need, and it's just a matter of getting the actors in place and the cameras in place and hitting record. So it's kind of like we're 
did each director go through each episode with Favreau and Filoni and say, this is what I want to do before they start storyboarding? Or was that all Favreau and Filoni and then they handed the previs to the directors and are like, make this happen? Well, I think um, the, the feeling I got in listening to both uh, Fumiawa and Chow in comments is they were there for a few months before they sat down to actually film. And I'm like, okay, then if they're there they're there for a reason not you know no we're gonna come hang out maybe but it's just not something they ever explicitly say that yeah we like oh yeah when me and john sat down and did the storyboard design that you know nobody ever mentioned specifically yeah but i I, the feeling i got was is that that they were there and they were giving active input because from going back to the director episode they're talking about how they're putting everybody together as a team and you know the what was the analogy? Um, anyway, but um, basically everybody was there. And um, I I think that Favreau had a heavy hand in directing what he... I think he said, this is what I want to see. And then brought the input in from everybody around. Based on the their strengths. Right. That is the feeling I got. You know, he did a, a very much a, a, a Feige kind of thing with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to be the runner, and my vision is going to be the one that I'm going to try to make sure we're overarching. But I'm going to bring other people in because they got to do the work and bring their input in as well. But, yeah, it did make me think that. At one time, I'm like, holy crap, how much <laughs> did they do? And then, you know, I kind of went back in my head. I'm like, oh, wait. No, I, I think they did more than just, you know, Hit the button. Action, you know what I mean? And you could tell that by just how this show is, you know, roundtabled and how everybody's working and collaborating together. And um, then, because I I think before the show came out, Deborah Chow was already given Obi-Wan. And I don't think she would have been given that if, you know, she just kind of did. Just just hit the record button. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I totally get what you're saying, because, but I think um, they just, Wanted to say how important uh, previs was, and but like you said, it, it really shows how much like Favreau had his yeah. hands and everything. But with the different directors, they needed a to keep the story um, continuous and blended well. I think they needed to do that. Yeah, because Fumiyama mentions that prior to this, he had only done independent things, where yeah. he's like, you know, you'd grab your camera crew and your actors, you'd go to your set and you'd do, you know, do your takes for the day. So it's kind of just like. This was cool. The end result we got was great, but it, is there a drawback to having it so set in previs? Because you could go to the scene and be like, "Well, can we do this a little bit different? Did they have the ability to do that?" Like, actually, I think I, I think John Favreau spoke to that for a second because he said that the whole point of doing, or he felt that doing a lot of the previs beforehand was that if there was something that didn't work, it was better to fail in a previs mm-hmm. than to actually have everything set up, fail then, not look good, and then have to go back and do it. Yeah. So, but even still, always being mindful, I, and, I, and I think that there is a small level of the directors might have been uh, restrained a little bit on some of the things they were doing. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily bad. Uh, but they still can when you go day of to actually go shoot something. And that's probably why Favreau was on set so much was because he wanted to see he, – he's, he's clearly a person who's open to people who are creative and will listen to their creative ideas. And if something sparks a creativity in him, he's like, man, I didn't think of that and that's good. Let's do that. But I think he wanted to be there so that if something came up that he didn't mm-hmm. want to miss, like he didn't want them to feel like they couldn't be creative. So, yes, they had it all planned out for good reason, I think. But the crea- the directors that he brought in were people who he had told, be creative. You're here to be creative. You love Star Wars. So speak up when you see something. We'll see how it plays out. Mm-hmm. And if he likes it, he's there to be able to green shot. I know it's different from, he, he can sit there and go, I know that's different from what we previs, but I like that idea. Now that we're here and we're looking at it in physical space, I like that. Let's go with that. And he was there. He's there to green light it immediately. At least that's what I would think that would be the point of being there. Yeah, and that sh- that, that's actually shown when he's talking with uh, Fumiyawa mm-hmm. when they're doing the uh, motion capture for the um, uh, 
when he's fight uh, when he's fighting the robot the droids on the um, prison ship, mm-hmm. and because Favreau's like originally those are floating droids. Yeah. Then the way they did the action, oh well, hey uh, Doug Chain, now we need to drop some legs and arms. So can you do that? But that wound up being uh, Fumiyawa's choice to have that more of a fight, and that paid off. So mm-hmm. I mean that that's a a change from I guess the original right uh, suggested right. idea. Yeah, and, and it could, proved to work. Yeah, and there could be there could be quite a few of them in there. So yeah, yeah, yeah I, I can I can see where that might have been a question, but I and if if we hadn't have seen everything we'd seen already in in the behind the scenes stuff, I might have leaned more in that direction. Like, yeah, I think what you just mentioned just... about Fumiyawa kind of answered that thought. They were there for the storyboard, the motion capture, the previs, and like. Uh, Favreau said that's where they worked out the kinks. Mm-hmm. So they knew what shots they wanted when they when they got there. Um, and I think this episode also kind of shows. Coming into this, we kind of all th- I think we all kind of thought this was like a fifty fifty Favreau Filoni thing. And seeing the process and Favreau talk about his um, his motivations and his inspirations coming into this, I think we see that the Mandalorian is much more of his mm-hmm. his baby because he always talks about how the jungle book inspired the lion king mm-hmm. and how the lion king inspired the mandalorian mm-hmm. and how he's taken all of that plus iron man into how they run the the producing of this show um where feloni is the star wars brainchild and then kind of being taught along the way how to direct from favreau because he mentions you know i don't know how to train direct live i don't know how to direct live actors mm-hmm. he mentioned that in the cast episode um so yeah, it's it's a it's an amazing yeah I definitely see it more of uh, Favreau's baby mm-hmm. <laughs> not 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 the child but his uh, baby and uh, having the bonus of being friends with Filoni and yeah their well, collaboration rumor not not to go too bad but rumor has come out that uh, Favreau and George were not fans of uh, Last Jedi and that I heard. It was more of Favreau going to Disney, going, "Give me the show. I want like making his case to go. Not they didn't come to him. He went to them. He goes, I don't like where it's going. I have too much respect now. All hearsay, mind you, but I, I saw a couple interviews and I read a couple articles this week about it and how he went and like, give me, give me it. I can I." And basically went and, and sold himself and said, give me the show. Yeah. I will run it. And he kind of mentions go. that in this episode where he talks about going to Disney with, I have this idea for yeah. a lone gunslinger. Yeah. And he's meeting with Disney and with Filoni. And Filoni's flying home, draws something on his plane napkin and sends it to Favreau. He's like, this is what you want? And he's like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I want. <laughs> yeah. And like I mentioned before, Alan Horn, head of Disney uh, Studios, loves Favreau. Yeah. I mean, he he was very adamant about it a couple of D23s ago and yeah it make it makes me wonder where where we could be right now if he didn't make that effort to come and go mm-hmm. let let's go here you know i'm thankful he did yeah <laughs> and Favreau gets a bad rap cuz i want to say in all his acting gigs he usually plays a big brute or a dumb idiot uh-huh. yep like I can't even name all the movies where he just plays some gorilla character who beats his chest and is stupid and yells. Give me the ball. I'm going to get you the ball. Yeah, no, He's yeah. just give me ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, give incredibly yeah. intelligent and knowledgeable oh, yeah. of filmmaking and just all of the different processes from technology to acting. Yeah, but the one thing that I've been getting, the one vibe I've been getting that um, coming from different people throughout the different roundtables is that he – is unapologetic. Like he knows how to move, maneuver people, but he is driven and focused. Like, mm-hmm. I, who was it? He they kind of said, "Okay, I'll give you my answer, and then John will give you the right answer." And I'm like, <laughs> "That that was Filoni, uh, oh, I think." No, um, it was, was it? Um, Rick, um, the guy, the guy with the glasses. He's in this episode. Um, Berman. Um, oh, okay. The animate. The, one of the visual yeah. guys, and and. Um, and I laughed, but then there are little things throughout that that I'm like, okay, he's in charge, like, and <laughs> and he is not making any any I don't think any concession. Like he's gonna drive if it's a good idea, good. If it's not, and he doesn't like it, boom, done, out, yeah. gone. 
Well, he wrote all but one episode, yep. I believe, yep. in the first season. So. Yep. So, I mean, President Lucasfilm, hello. Anyway, moving on. All right, so back to the process. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, all, it's all part of the process. All part of it, man. Come on. It's all part of the plan. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, like I said... Um, uh, just yeah, the basic the the previous stuff. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to this one. They mm-hmm. just basically showed it. It was a lot more visual stuff that they were showing on this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I said, I thought it was an extension of the last two episodes of technology and uh, pro- uh, practical, along with a little bit of directors. Well, I think I think Chad, before we we began, you kind of made the comment like it felt like they wanted to add more because they gloss over the previs. In, in the yeah, the, te- technology, the technology episode. episode was so heavy on the volume because yeah. it is this groundbreaking, amazing new technology, but so is the use of previs. Like, that could have easily been in the technology episode, too. But it also does help explain the process <laughs> of how they create the show, going through mm-hmm. storyboarding, then motion capture, then animating it, and then finally recording the show yeah. at the end. Well, the previs on, on this episode, the animation was better than... Like some old shows, like from five years ago. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, and I'm like, this is previous. Holy crap! Like yeah. they an didn't animated just Mandalorian stick show. figure their previous. Like they, <laughs> yeah, they're a couple steps short of having like fully animated video game cutscenes. Yeah. in these previous shots, they're yeah. pretty. You know, we've said about it in practicals. They put de- details, details, details in everything they do on this, and it shows. Mm-hmm. And like the storyboard. They the storyboards aren't just like choppy pictures to give you an idea. Like no. th- that's a flip book that could go through the <laughs> yep. entire show. Yep. Like they didn't shortchange or lack in any part of the process. Well I think that pretty much covers it. Yep. That's why we put them both together. Yep. So more more actual stuff you have to watch then. <laughs> but still yep. good to know that this is how they're doing it. It's nice to know that they have it they have the roadmap and mm-hmm. uh it helps them set the tone, set the pace, and again, they see something that's going awry, not going to work. They can change it before they get in there and just keep that same high, if not same, probably better. Mm-hmm. Because as we've anybody who's seen different series uh, progress, either through TV or streaming services, second, third seasons, if they don't completely tank, if they're not just bad from the <laughs> get go, they tend to get better and better and mm-hmm. better and so i don't see this being a, a tanker i see this mm-hmm. definitely growing into a better and better series with bigger and more grandiose things i know they're going to try and keep eventually we're going to get into something big it's mm-hmm. going to be that mm-hmm. it's going to happen and i can't wait to see where that ends up yeah for season two we've all seen john favreau tease the new character which is like the skinny gamorian guard the green pigs from return and it's just like he shows the the maquette, the little model that mm-hmm. they're looking at. And I'm just like, after seeing the practicals episode, I'm like, they're going to have some giant actor in there with an animatronic head. And we're finally going to get to see one of these pigs mouths move and talk. Because in Return of the <laughs> Jedi, all they did was snarl. Mm-hmm. Not like they would grunt and snarl and they'd have like the fake, you know, spit coming like out of their pigs. mouths. It's going to be the it's guy that's like what three, four different characters that's at the conventions. Um, oh, that super tall, skinny guy? No, the... We we brought him up on the show a couple of times. He's been like from the Mandalorian, going to be at Stockton Con. Oh, um, Dominic Pace. Yeah, he's going to be the Gamorrean. Oh, right. I mean, I, they didn't kill off his character Gecko in uh, Episode Three. He distinctly is like, I didn't get killed in that. <laughs> <laughs> like Disney, what's up? <laughs> All right. So next episode, score the score. Ah. And we're not talking about sports. We're talking about music. Yes. The music that is behind. And how many flutes are in the soundtrack? <laughs> recorders. They're recorders. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Recorders. You get it recorders. on Amazon. All new. You go through elementary school and you're like, recorders and wind instruments, they suck. They're stupid and I hate them. And then you watch the manual and you're like, man, I really oh, wish no, I took that so seriously. <laughs> I should have learned more than three blind mice. Yeah. <laughs> So that's coming next week, and uh, that one's that was a fun one to watch too. Yeah, have been all of these probably my favorite. <laughs> I, I but know. I love this entire gallery. So yeah, I mean, just because it's my favorite, don't mean I don't love the other ones. Right, 
Joey has a lot of love. Unapologetically. A lot of love. All right. <laughs> so, um, do we have any news? Uh, beep, 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 beep. Breaking boop, boop. news. I'm going to go away and go cry in my corner now. I lost a bet over it, but that's fine. Star Wars Celebration 2020 in Anaheim has officially been canceled. So for those who bought tickets, Reed Pop is offering refunds, or you can roll over your current ticket to Star Wars Celebration Anaheim 2022. 2022. Not 21. That is insane. And basically because it's a D23 year, and they wanted that summer spot, but... Mm -hmm. (sighs) Yeah, that one hurts. It stings. Yeah, um, but for those of us who aren't Derek, we also have good news in that the <laughs> announcement of EA in a brand new Star Wars video game, <laughs> Star Wars Squadrons, which is, if you've played Battlefront 2, is looks like it's just a game based on Starfighter Assault. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, playing Battlefront 2, it was visually pleasing, it looked really pretty, um, and it was it's kind of fun, too. I thought it was sure. a little, it's a little slow. Like the way the ships kind of fly, mm-hmm. um, there's not kind of that dogfighty element to it. It kind of no. seems like they're almost on track a little. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to see that change in a in a squadrons game. Well, the dogfighting that they showed in it looks yeah, like it looks dogfighting. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right about about Battlefront Two. Whenever you're trying to bank hard or whatever, you don't feel like you're given a hard turn. It, yeah. It, yeah. You're in space. You're not supposed to. Well, I know, but like. I mean, Star Wars has never really. I want to hit my air brakes, man. Physics. I, <laughs> I want to hit my air brakes and let them fly right by. Oh, yeah. okay, Maverick. Yeah, you want to you want to do the solo shuffle? That, yeah, there you go, like <laughs> or the solo slide yep. that Poe Dameron does in yep. the Last Jedi. Yep. Oh man, happy beeps. Yeah. <laughs> but and, we get we get to fly with a U wing. Yeah. No B wing though. No B wing. Y wing, U wing, X wing, and A wing. A wing. Hey, they got the bomber, the TIE bombers in there, man. Yeah. yeah. And then you have what, what, what do they have on the bomber. Imperial? TIE fighters. TIE fighters, interceptors, bombers. Bomber. And there's a new one, I thought. Yeah. I think. Uh, I could be wrong. Right but for the quick-eyed people, we get a glimpse of Wedge and, and Hera. General Hera Syndulla. Yep. In there. So that's yep. awesome. Hmm. Yep. But not just cool. the Starfighter. Assaults too. They also mentioned capital ships will be involved in, mm-hmm. in the stories too. So that'd be interesting because that's one thing you didn't October. get in Battlefront too. What, what are you going to be playing it on PC? Uh, probably PC. What about you, Joey? Uh, PS4. You already know my answer. <sighs> Same as you. The Alvarados are Xbox players. We are. So. I mean, I have an Xbox, but I I'm sitting at my computer much more than I'm sitting at the TV with my Xbox on. Well, if you want to play with us, then. Yeah, maybe, maybe that'll be the thing, and then we make <laughs> Joe. I know what I'll do when I get the new one. I'll feather mine over to Joe and be like, "Here, Joe, when if you want to play Squadron, you can." I'll I don't want to play with you guys. I don't want to play with then you. for those saying <laughs> EA is awful, I don't want to buy their game because it's going to come with hundreds of dollars of downloadable content to make it competitive. They're actually going away from the norm, and this will be a complete game out of the box with no downloadable content. And I don't like that, but. We don't like it because there's ships missing that we want them to include. That That is the only reason why, yeah. If it wasn't a Star Wars game, I'd be like, evil EA, they want you to buy (laughs) add-ons. It's terrible. But being a Star Wars fan, I'm like, I'll pay $5 for the Slave 1. I'll pay $10 for the viewing. (laughs) No problem. How much more? Okay, here, here, have my money. Take my money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Vulture droids? Yeah. (laughs) This is not a paid advertising by EA, by the way. No. I think it looks cool though. At least, I mean, yeah. the, the animation wise, yeah, every little I bit mean, of the gameplay looks cool. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I mean, October, right? October twenty. This has actually given me a boost to hurry up and get my original trilogy X-wing pilot costume <laughs> going. Because I know you sent me that message, man. You're like, man, it makes me want to get yeah. my my cosplay I gotta, done. I got to get more than just my jumpsuit mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh, right now, I got the Will Hood <laughs> costume yeah. more than an X-wing, but. Yeah. <laughs> Go get your ice cream maker. <laughs> it's a cam tono. Oh, apologies. I'm sorry. Ice cream maker. Uh, but anyway. Sweet. Anything else? <laughs> We're done, right? I, I think that might be it. I think we are done. Yep. All right. Well, as you can tell, 
we look at more than just Star Wars shows. Mm-hmm. We are deep in it. These guys are going to play some X-Wing when we're done here. Mm-hmm. They like doing that, too. I unfortunately never get the chance because I always got to work. Boo. But I think my son will come and kick your guys' butts next on X-Wing. We All will right. choose his cards. Yep. Ha. All right. So anyway, <laughs> um, we are looking forward to next week's thing with the music and the score and the sound and the stuff. Mm-hmm. Very fun episode. And um, we, as always, are keeping our ear out for any Star Wars news. And uh, give us all a shout out. If you feel the need, say hi, drop us a line. On Ask Chad. Mm-hmm. Leave Don't any f- comments or questions on our Instagram. Page. You can ask Chad anything. anything. We're opening it up to even personal questions now. <laughs> you can ask him what he's wearing. He'll tell you. Anyway, (laughs) until next week. It's an Ewok eating ramen out of a Stormtrooper helmet. Right now. (laughs) It is, yeah. We're all... I'm not. Oh, Oh, The rest of us are wearing Star Wars t-shirts. I'm wearing American flag. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, well, anyways, from this clan of four, I want to remind you until next time, this is the way. This This is is the the way. way.